Welcome to Sofo Security Chat Chat number 215 for the 23rd of September, 2015. My name is John Shire. I'm hosting the podcast this week. Chester's taking some time off. Along with me this afternoon is Paul Ducklin. Welcome, Paul. Hello, John. Happy Equinox. We both have as much day and night as each other. Yeah, so in the Northern Hemisphere, it means that fall is upon us uh, and, you know, the beautiful leaves will be coming out very soon and all sorts of things like Thanksgiving and some other holidays are just around the corner. So and Two and a half meters of snow, minus 40 degrees C. Well, th- that can hold off for a little while longer. I think we can definitely enjoy a bit, <laughs> a bit of the warm days and cooler nights. Excellent. Uh, still hot on the security front, though, isn't it? It certainly is. So let's kick off that uh, discussion with iOS 9, uh, which was just released. And uh, as usual, when we update the leftmost digit in an operating system or with an application, there is a lot to talk about. And I think this uh, this particular update is, is just the case. There's a lot of stuff in here for productivity. There's a lot of things that are, you know, they're talking about faster performance. They're talking about being more helpful. And, and that depends on how helpful you think Siri is to begin with. Uh, but more to the point, even in their, you know, their landing page, they've talked about tightening their security. And they sure did, John. I think there were 67 items in the email that I got uh, that details the security fixes. Uh, and one of those alone, the WebKit stuff, I think covered 30 separate potential remote code executions. Forget the features, forget the one hour extra battery life they're claiming. You want this for the security. It's really important. There's a lot that got fixed. And uh, why not take it? As a matter of fact, there's one in here that you wrote about specifically, which was the core crypto attack, which I thought was uh, pretty interesting. That <laughs> Yes, it's just hiding amongst all the others quietly uh, saying that oh, by actually trying multiple signing attempts, it might be possible to recover an RSA private key. This issue was addressed using improved encryption algorithms. That certainly is an improvement, definitely one you want. Leaked private keys are about the worst thing that you can get, really. Uh, that's why they call private. One of the other updates that they made that that you wrote about the blog as well was the increase of PIN codes from four to six digits as a default. And I think this is another great step towards better security. At least in this case, you know, going from four to six is a vast improvement on uh, the cracking ability of PINs, if you will. Given that your iPhone, you can set your iPhone so that it'll wipe itself out after 10 mistakes, you can argue that four digits is kind of about enough, but... Also, given that one of the bugs fixed was uh, the ability for an attacker potentially to reset the wrong password count, the, the more you need an attacker to guess, the safer you're going to be. It's as simple as that. Now, in other Apple news, uh, iTunes 12.3 was also released, which is, again, just a, a really good reminder that not only are operating systems getting updates, but you know that your applications are also getting updates. So whether it's a widget, an app, whatever the case may be, an OS, uh, you do need to go out there and make sure that you are running the latest and greatest, because in this case, iTunes did include a bunch of security fixes in itself as well. Uh, But it also included something else, which is, you know, segueing from a discussion about increased pin length uh, is two-factor authentication. It's just another speed bump on the road to getting access to your information. So in this case here, They've decided that they will be rolling out two-factor authentication, which ties in nicely with the iOS 9 story, doesn't it? It 
doesn't solve all problems. But as we've said many times on the podcast and on Naked Security, it does mean that a crook can't just simply guess or obtain your password and then use it for the next three weeks. They've got this code that they have to obtain every single time. It definitely makes it harder. That's right. And as far as we're concerned, this is definitely a step in the right direction. So once Apple's ecosystem sort of catches up with itself in, in the various disparate parts, the Apple community will be much safer for it. So let's talk about something a little bit less pleasant. Now, it's not the first time that we've seen this happen, but it's a pretty rare occasion. And that's malware getting onto Apple's App Store. This is more than an interesting story. It's a fascinating one. Now, can you go through the story? You wrote this one up, and, and there's quite a bit of detail here. It starts outside the App Store and ends up inside it. That's the tricky part of the story. So what seems to have happened is some Chinese crooks did a kind of remix of Xcode, which is Apple, Apple's development toolkit. Now, why you'd pirate software that's already free, no one knows. Uh, but the story seems to be that the way these guys pitched it is, hey, you can just download ours straight from servers in China. You don't have to go through the App Store. It's much faster and more reliable because it is a massive download. So the idea was you go, okay, I'll just download this alternative version of Xcode and then use it for production builds that you submit to the App Store of iOS apps. Unfortunately, this recooked Xcode was actually not just cooked, but crooked. Uh, and the guys had jury rigged it in such a way that instead of infecting your computer, it infected the code you were generating in the hope that it would then get into the App Store. It seems quite a number of companies that probably should have known better ended up building infected apps without realizing it, submitted them to the App Store, and they got through verification. From what I gather, it could do various things like sniff your clipboard, therefore could get passwords, direct you to bogus URLs, send you fake alerts to fish and stuff like that. So sort of uh, entry-level spyware in quite a number of apps. All of them got through. What's a user to do if they are actually in this position and, and have a, an app that's potentially affected? John, at the moment, the real problem seems to be that we're sort of relying on Apple working out which apps were affected in this way, because now they know what to look for. And then, of course, they can retire those apps and require the vendor to resubmit. So everything will hopefully fix itself. The problem is that relying on the App Store to fix the problem is all very well, but it was the App Store that got you in hot water in the first place. And what we don't have is a definitive list, uh, neither from Apple that I've seen, nor from software vendors who are affected. Software vendors who weren't using the legitimate Xcode should really come out and say so and say, mea culpa, we've probably built some dodgy apps as well and here they are, list them. I agree that we should definitely be given a list of, of the applications that are affected. Now, to be fair, in that part of the world, uh, you know, non-English, native English-speaking countries, it can be a bit difficult to get applications written in your own language. And so uh, this is unfortunately something that happens quite a bit where apps get downloaded, translated, and then republished in local app stores. Very familiar with this on the Android side of the house. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's just the, the, the symptoms of, of having a, a, a very large non-native English-speaking population that is also wishing to consume apps. So let's leave Apple behind for now and, and give a little bit of uh, equal airtime to the other platform out there. <laughs> so Android released its 
uh, first monthly security update uh, in August, uh, which fixed the stage fright vulnerability. For some devices, of course. Yeah, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole again. Uh, so the Nexus devices obviously got those straight away, as uh, Chester and I are, are uh, have said before, we own these Nexus devices for that very reason. Yes, you get the fixes less late than anyone else. <laughs> I guess that's one way to put it. This particular update had uh, an interesting fix in it, and that was for the uh, the lock screen bypass. Can you explain for our listeners exactly what the lock screen bypass did? Well, everyone knows what a lock screen is. It's a thing that comes up and says, now you have to put in your code, whether it's four, six, eight, sixteen 16 characters or whatever. The problem is that on most uh, modern phones, whether they're Android or iOS or Windows phone, the lock screen is quite a cool place to be. So you tend to have other apps. I think for regulatory purposes, you have to be able to access the phone dialer so you can make emergency calls. It's common to have the camera app on there so you don't have to unlock the phone to take a selfie in a hurry. And of course, the more things you pile onto the lock screen, which is supposed to be a lock screen, the more likely it is that one of them is going to have a bug that would compromise the lock entirely. And that seems to be what happened here. By some weird mixture, Chester was the guy who laboriously tried this. It's not an easy hack to do. It involves cutting and pasting and putting in longer and longer and longer passwords. And eventually the lock screen crashes. It crashes back to the home screen. So Chester got that so he could see some stuff on it. And apparently in some cases, not only does it crash to the home screen, it actually then lets you start using the phone as though you had unlocked it. Lock screens are super important for keeping the crooks out. That's why we absolutely recommend people have them. That's why we were praising Apple for pushing four-digit pin minimum to six. But it's no good if there's a bypass that lets you crash the lock screen and pretend it was never there in the first place. Uh, but yeah, th this is definitely something that's not, as Chester said, it's not really intuitive to trigger. It does require a little bit of work. So I think we can safely say that this wasn't a very major bug, even though it was uh, still a serious one, if you are the one that was affected. Yes, and a very good reason to make sure that you haven't missed out the patch. Correct. And and as we said in the in previous podcasts, you know, Android is moving to this more monthly rolling cycle. And so hopefully this particular patch and, and the other patches that came along with it will get into users' hands much quicker than they have in the past. So moving on from Google, uh, let's you know we've covered the two biggest smartphone manufacturers and providers of operating systems. Let's talk about the world's biggest social media site, that being Facebook. Now, Facebook is one of those sites that like, a lot of people love to hate, uh, just because of the practices that they they have in terms of capturing your identity and and all the things that are associated with it, which are things like pictures and videos and uh, a lot of personal details. And so Facebook is, is, you know, has a treasure trove of information. And, and to Facebook's credit, to our knowledge, they, they have never been popped, which is great. But what they do do is they do take that information and they periodically sell it on to different partners. And in this case, you know, we're talking about ad partners so that they can better target the ads. This particular story deals with the opt-out rather than opt-in, as we would like to see, of selling your information to these third-party ad networks. Well, there's a bit more to it this time, John. My understanding is that this also involves information that they collect effectively, if you like, outside Facebook. For example, because you click on a like button on somebody else's site, but you happen to be logged into Facebook, 
It's not just that you went to Facebook's site, saw a post and said, oh, yes, I like that in the context of Facebook. But this is information that they're getting that's a little bit more than they would have if you were simply using their service on their site. Annoyingly, in my opinion, they've said, well, OK, if you opt out, obviously, we're still going to collect the data because it's still our like button, but we won't sell it to anyone else. And it would really be nice if it was opt in, something we've been saying for years. If it's that fantastic a feature, if the ads I'm going to get because you sell this information onto third parties are that much more targeted, that much more relevant to me, I'll want to turn the feature on if it's that good. A good step to offer it, I believe. But I think, um, as you said, and as we've said over and over again, not to beat a dead horse, opt-in is, is the definite security go-to uh, when it comes to things like this. This story comes with a great example, and that's the dislike scams that have just reared their ugly little heads again on Facebook. Uh, Facebook announced that they were thinking of adopting a dislike button. And uh, as we chatted prior to the podcast, you know, before that announcement, dislike scams weren't very popular and all of a sudden uh, they are again. What a surprise. Yes, the crooks have jumped in saying, oh, you've heard about the new dislike button. Well, but in the past they were scams because there wasn't one. Now there is one. Oh, but by the way, it's by invite only to start with. So why don't you sign up? And then, of course, there's the usual raft of scam related stuff. Well, you have to share this or like this first. You have to send it to five of your groups before you know what it is you're sharing with them. Uh, and then at the end, there's a bait and switch. There's no dislike button, but you are encouraged to fill in some surveys and you could win some unrelated prizes. And of course, if you decide, well, in for a penny, in for a pound, uh, really what you're doing is you're making a few cents for the crooks because they're an affiliate in the click-through marketing and you're giving away personally identifiable information that you really didn't need to. And uh, so don't do it. And that's a good tip on which to end the software security checklist chat number 215. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more on iTunes, the TuneIn app at soundcloud.com slash software security or wherever quality podcasts are found. For all your latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And until next time, stay secure.